0: Welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program.
1: the Real Britannia podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Good morning, Scott here. This week we are discussing Rita Sue and Bob Two from 1987. Joining me is my regular co-host Stephen. Good morning, sir. Good morning, mate. And by special request, it's Anthony. Hello,
0: mate. Hello, hi everybody. We've already been doing a bit of film reviewing, haven't we? Before uh, the mics were turned on, I think we've
1: done yes, enough to yes, cover yes. an entire episode. We've, we've covered yes, everything yes. from Baz Luhrmann to nudist movies.
0: Yes, I'm already burned out, unfortunately. <laughs> oh no, only kidding. Nice to be back.
1: My choice this week, I'd never seen it, so I watched it for the first time on mm. Friday. I think, Stephen, you've already seen it before? Yeah, I think
2: I've seen it several times at least. And, uh, and not recently,
1: Anthony, yourself?
0: Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah, I remembered Michelle Holmes because I used to watch uh, Coronation Street back in the of day. Of course, she was uh, in Coronation. Uh, mm. Yeah, that's right. So yeah,
1: it's one of those movies that I should have watched. You know, it's it's got my my name written all over it. It's you know, a British movie from the eighties. It's a film four production. I, I watched all the other sort of film four stuff round about this time, and it's mm. just escaped me. You know. But I knew a lot about it And I knew some of the scenes That were coming up Because my nephew Who oh, he's now 40 Bless him But he was obsessed With this film When he was a teenager I'm intrigued to find out What you guys think about it Because as I say As a first time watch I've got quite a bit to say So yeah. Let's play the trailer It's Rita Sue and Bob 2 We'll be back after this <laughs>
2: Welcome to Britain in the
1: 80s. Two nations now constitute our country. And Rita and Sue are in the wrong half. In the car? Yeah. Where do you go?
2: There's never out to do where we
0: live. Not much we can do, is there? So it looks like we'll just be walking round again you may think what happens to rita and sue couldn't happen in england bob's going to give you a lift home aren't you bob did the wife give you babysitting money yeah you may be shocked things haven't been
2: going too well with me and the wife i hate you you may be appalled you're not trying to tell me that she's been babysitting
0: Bob and Johnny's on fire.
1: <laughs> but you'll laugh at what Rita and Sue do to stay one jump ahead. Rita, Sue and Bob too.
0: If it came to it and she stood there and asked me, I think I'd tell her. I'd work my way out of it. But it'd save a lot of trouble all around,
1: wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's Rita Sue and Bob Two from nineteen eighty seven, directed by Alan Clarke, the Synopsis. Rita and Sue are two teenagers living on a rundown council estate in Bradford who both share a job babysitting for Bob and Michelle's children. Whilst giving them a lift home one night, Bob decides to take Rita and Sue up to a deserted countryside landscape. Clearly knowing what he has in mind, Rita and Sue are only too happy to oblige and both have a sexual encounter with him that becomes a regular occurrence. Again, this is an awful synopsis. We ought to write our own, I think, sometimes for this. Stephen does some great ones with lots of alliteration. I think we ought to stick with that. Um, Starring Michelle Holmes, as you said, Anthony. Siobhan Finanen is in this, and George Costigan. They are the three, you know, um, of the title. I was surprised that Siobhan Finanen was in it. I wasn't aware, really, of who she was until I started binge-watching, of all things, Downton Abbey a couple of years ago. Right, She plays this wonderful character in Downton Abbey and then I started looking at other things you know just unconsciously and she's in everything isn't she from like Happy Valley to absolutely every single sort of like BBC three-part drama or detective sort of thing that's going on at the moment and it's great to see she's become one of this country's like leading TV actresses isn't she
2: she's popping up in everything and I mean I don't mean you know it's not things like Doctors, but she, mm. she does a scope of things. Like you say, I mean, she's been in in, in Abbey on one side, and and then on the other side, there's Benny Dome. Oh, she's um, in that as
1: well, is she? Yeah, quite, right.
2: a, quite a contrast between that, and she's Happy Valley and Unforgiven and all yeah. these kind of things. And I think there actually is a a link. The three leads in this film, I think they've all been in Coronation Street at some point. <laughs> I think they've all, right. all been in. They've all been in Happy Valley at some point. And in fact, I think mm. George and maybe Siobhan or, She's definitely, or she plays the Michelle, sister Yeah, yeah. one of, you know uh, the there's actually in some production, I can't remember which TV series it is, but George and one of the girls actually play a married couple so, you know, it's uh, <laughs> you know, they've worked with each other again and been on the same series at different points, and as you say uh, Siobhan and Michelle and, uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, Siobhan is one of those that is The example of what we say about the cast of thousands that was there in the background that Mm. you don't really think about and then suddenly you realise, oh wow, what's she been in? Uh, (laughs) You think, oh I I don't really recognise her too much, maybe she didn't work much after this film. And then you go. Yeah. Oh, no, actually, she worked in she, did. she worked in virtually everything. She did. <laughs> she wasn't in. A, yeah. She
0: wasn't in a night to remember. Unfortunately. <laughs> so, uh, no,
2: unfortunately,
0: not, uh, no. no. But Michelle Holmes, I knew from. Uh, do you remember Goodnight, Sweetheart?
1: Oh, cool she yeah. was.
0: Nicholas wasn't Linhurst. Yeah, he he was. She was his Fine. wife in the nineties. Then he'd go back to the forties, and he'd if you remember, he used to play a lot of Beatles songs and pass them off. As his he own He did. He did. Oh, there, got out of the way there we go. Off. You've oh, done dear. it. You've done it. Oh, um... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love Michelle Holmes. Uh, she was kind of the standout for me here. She Much wasn't the idea. first wife, though,
1: was she? I think, didn't she replace... Dervla Kerwin, or Dervla Kerwin replaced her, I No, think.
2: that No, that was the in back in the 40s. She was the barmaid, was the, wasn't she? There was a changeover. Dervla Kerwin changed over for, for a different actress. Oh, um, yes, yes, yes. Michelle, Michelle Holmes was consistent as the wife in ah, the, the modern right. day. I didn't really watch it, to be perfectly honest. I don't know why I know, but um, <laughs> I do know that. It wasn't too bad, yeah. And that,
0: Beatles, right, film, yeah. that Beatles film yesterday that I uh, savaged a couple of years mm. ago, they they even they just basically stole almost stole that premise i did this idea that you can go back and pretend that you wrote something or yesterday or let it be or whatever (laughs) yeah yeah. <laughs> like, so yeah. this
1: movie, as you were yes. saying, you guys were sort of saying these these guys have all worked together since, and sounded like they remain close friends. They probably had no choice because of the, uh, the the intimate contact and the acting they were doing throughout this movie. And it starts right at the very beginning. This is the bit that got me: the sex scene in the car at the very beginning. I was not <laughs> yeah. expecting that at all. You know, I was I was just thinking it was going to be. Um, I knew the premise. You know, that George Costigan was going to share this relationship with two schoolgirls mm. and. And when you describe it like that, you start thinking, especially for someone like me who hasn't seen it, you think, how creepy is this going to be? You know, especially to modern day audiences as well. But it it didn't seem sinister in any way, the way it was presented. Did you guys feel that as well? Because to me, I'm not saying it it seemed normal, but at Mm. the same time, it didn't feel like predatory or anything like that.
0: Well, I think the thing is that, I mean, I don't know what age the two girls were, but obviously this is quite normal, isn't it? The actresses were a little bit older. Yeah. I mean, they didn't really look 16. But yeah, it's a strange... I actually watched it um, almost twice mm-hmm. uh, in preparation for this. So I watched it about three weeks ago. I kind of remembered it, and I, I kind of got... The comedy of it was obvious. And then I watched... Um, it was a bit kind of a round table thing with, with a few of the stars 30 years later. And, I was... and then I went back, and then, all the kind of racial... Um, undertones overtones mm-hmm. ubertones yeah we there and it's a uh, you know there are there are some edgy bits as well you know when the girls are kind of fighting mm. at school and stuff but yeah i mean that that's sexy you know just, it's absolutely hilarious to be careful what i say it's a it's a bit of a coming of age film as well even though it's kind of a weird context but yeah i think the fact the girls were seemed a bit older it kind of made it seem less sinister yeah and obviously it's very funny i mean when they're having sex in the car and the car horn's going and uh, (laughs) i don't know who is it rita no which one's michelle holmes that's sue isn't it yeah she goes she goes first and then you just get this shot of rita kind of just leaning on the car looking really bored (laughs) it's like oh have you finished yet it's uh, so yeah it's kind of comedy but then it's there's a bit of darkness there and it's got and i was just taken about it was like alan clark what (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's the thing, you know, the, yeah. the sort of movies we associate Alan Clark with, but he's proved he can do comedy as well. Yeah. Stephen, how was I it you... for you this time round, mate?
2: Even though I've seen it a, a number of times, there's still a kind of perception of the film that obviously this is a you know a film that puts sex at the forefront, sort of thing, and it's potentially a bit gratuitous. And it isn't in any way. I mean, the sex things you don't see anything um, apart from you know some legs behind somebody's back. Um, and it's comical more than anything else. The the sex scenes you don't get to even see a, a bare breast or anything. Yeah. Um. Or even a be, even a even I think the worst you get is is George Costigan's uh, naked bottom mm. very briefly. The level at which it's an 18 is because of the subject matter, not because you actually see what you see. Certainly, you know what Anthony's just said there, that there's the the portrayal of. The racial relations uh, in the film, which are on one side there's from the the drunk father making comments uh, to the Asian lad, um, and then on the other side, that although the language you know isn't language that we're used to refer to Pakistani uh, people these days, it, it isn't done from the girls yeah. with any bow. It's just a, it's just a you know same way you you might. Short and other, you know, to say Aussie rather than Australian sort of thing. Mm, um, yeah. So there's no there's no bitterness there. But then, no, there, obviously, there is a portrayal of, to some extent uh, reality of of the different communities and how their their behaviour is. But I don't think that is doing it in a sense of making it out that there's anything wrong with any of the communities on the race divide. It's just um, more particular individuals how they behave. The film does stay the right line with regards to it, it keeping its tongue in its cheek without getting too dark. But you know the whole premise comes from from somebody who lived this life really, been in that situation. Mm-hmm. You know, the the writer, her first child at the age of fifteen sixteen was uh, with an Asian man. Mm. So it, it's you know it comes from it comes from a place of. A lived experience it's
1: um i was sort of thinking this paved the way a little bit for movies like east east is east that would come later mm. Be- mm. because you know it gives the chance to because was, that was set in bradford as well wasn't it stephen east is east it was Bradford. so well
2: actually it was it was it was filmed in bradford but set in uh, across the the border in oldham there we go that's right and
1: this is like i don't know about 12 years apart you know, so mm. it, it was great to see that being set in Bradford, you obviously had to introduce the element of other communities, obviously, because it would have been just, just too blinkered, even back in 1987. You mentioned the writer. Wasn't this based on a play?
2: Yes, yeah. It was two uh, plays even, wasn't it? Was it? it well, it, yeah, kind of. is two put together because the first mm. play that she did, it was sort of amalgamated in, mm. um, which is I'm trying to remember what it's called. It was named after the area. Right. Um sort of the estate where she was from. Um and then she on the back of that got commissioned to write this and she wrote this as a as a play, um, as the commission and then they decided to develop it and she wasn't entirely happy with the results because they changed um, the the ending to make it happier, but and also because she got massive amount of abuse from the estate she was still living on because of the way it was portrayed in the film. But personally, I, you know, I spent I spent Wednesday uh, of this week in and around that area mm. of, of Yorkshire. Yeah. Um, so with my my friend uh, Shiv and yeah, I mean, I, I was watching the film and reflecting and thinking, oh, nice to see Yorkshire in better days. Um. <laughs> You know what I was
1: thinking. We talk about very British movies. This is very British. You wouldn't consider this movie. You know, if he was to give a list of very British movies, this is an actual perfect slice of 1987 Bradford, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. This is and this is any number of you know northern towns in the 80s you could have you know seen in this. This is particular that you're in North Bradford here, where you're sort of five miles away from the moors mm, mm. and my daughter lives in one, one, just around the corner from where um where one of the uh, bits of this is set to be honest um so it is very much you know a territory that is recognizable to a lot of people in the in north even now but you couldn't mistake this for anywhere else in the, the world i don't think <laughs> or anywhere else in the country to be perfectly honest
1: the, the phrase "is still at North" um, it certainly applies here, doesn't it? It's grim. Yeah,
2: it should have <laughs> been. It, this should have been a pick by me. This should have been a pick it by was, me. Definitely, Scott, yeah, definitely. It? Is it true though, Stephen? They've all got Lancashire accents. The, the actors. It, yes, yes. Yeah, as a York, yeah. as a Yorkshireman, um, uh, it's definitely the. I think, to be perfectly honest, the, out of the five people who really are the main main people mm. on on the screen. You've got that that all of them are uh, from the other side of the Pennines, <laughs> as we say. That the, mm. I mean, you got to get to to the Asian fella to find somebody who's York, who actually is Yorkshire. I think. Oh, he's from um, Yorkshire, yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, obviously, um, wasn't originally born in, in Yorkshire. He was born in Kenya. Um, yep. right. So <laughs> it's even worse. So so yeah, I mm. mean, you know, you 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 finding it's only the sort of side characters. Um, mm. Such as the the old guy stood on the balcony shouting. Mm. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, but that yeah, that fascinated
1: good. me. That and the guy that's always watering his garden.
2: Oh yes, yes, yes. yes. Permanently yeah.
1: Permanently watering his garden.
0: Yeah, those are the kind of British things almost. I don't know. I don't want to generalize, but in American films, you just don't seem to get that. It's very quite as quirky. Yeah, I don't know. It's very quirky, isn't
1: it? That aspect of it reminded me sort of like of Kez or, or some sort of Ken Loach movie where. There is a bit of focus on people in the background, but you know, probably most of them aren't even actors. They are just, you know, actual bystanders or real people that are genuinely just brought in just to behave as themselves in the background. You know, I've got that feeling that a lot of that.
0: And also people who just just um, kind of hanging around. You know, because a lot yeah. of people, you know, it doesn't have to be in England, it could be anywhere, but just, you know, that old guy just is watering his garden because maybe he hasn't got anything else to do or something. Or, well, there was a or couple. Lots of by, bystanders and stuff. Yeah, yeah when, that's at a the very, school. the thing I love in films. Yeah. At the
1: school, when they're at um, the Bronte's house or somewhere like that, and they're walking down the cobbled hill, mm-hmm. and then there's two people leaning over from a tea shop who obviously were just there having a cup of tea or something. Um, and you can see that they're genuinely like well, hang on, what's going on here? There's there's Alan Clark filming a movie sort of thing, you know? Oh, right, yeah. yeah. (laughs) A bit of like, um, what do they call it, a guerrilla filmmaking almost, you know? It's just like, get the girls to walk down the hill and just film the blooming thing. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I think a lot, lot, it did definitely have that film, the the Ken Loach factor of um, ordinary people from the community being brought in, and, you know, same way as uh, they did for uh, Gregory's Girl as well. Yes. Um, that, That element where... I mean, obviously, the school link comes in, but it is drawing upon, you know, sort of local talent and getting extra, you know, getting people who were the extras um, to be there. And that is what you will find in a number of these films. Obviously, there's a cost element to it, but there's also an authenticity um, to it that these are, are the people perhaps from the community or at least from the, the right area. And in this case, it's trying to offset the um, the interlopers from Lancashire. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, also you get, um, I mean, I know all the people in this are actors, but also in other films, they use
2: non-actors, don't they? And it just works beautifully. Exactly, yeah. They don't know. They don't well, I think some of the side characters, if you're you know, going through the cast list, as I did, you get to a certain point where you're finding this is the only film that somebody mm-hmm. was in. Um, which usually indicates that they were just somebody who happened to be walking by and was, was gone, oh, yeah. come here, stand there, and say this line, or just stand in the background or whatever. Shall I give you um, a good
1: example? The, yeah. One of the actors or actresses that really impressed me was Rita's mother, yeah. Maureen Long. Absolutely perfect northern mother role. She played it to perfection. The way she reacted with her drunk husband and all the other kids and the hangers about around the flat and all of that business. Only movie she ever made.
0: Do you know some uh, very strange trivia about her? Did you read this? No, go on. She was a Yorkshire Ripper survivor. Yep. Oh, can you imagine? That's where
1: I've seen her face.
0: I don't imagine how you could ever get over that. That's where I've seen her face. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, because there's that brilliant documentary that was on Netflix last year, and they interviewed her. Um, I've seen loads of documentaries. Yeah, yeah, she's she's appeared in a couple, hasn't she? She (laughs) got hit with a hammer, didn't she? Yes.
0: Yes, oh, God. that's where I, I knew imagine.
1: her from. But this is her only movie. Wow, that is really good bit of trivia. Um, you mentioned uh, is it A- A- Andrea Dunbar? I think it is. Is the playwright, isn't it? The, the woman that wrote. Yes. It. And as you said, Stephen, she had. Children at fifteen, and she died at the age of twenty-nine. Yeah, and apparently her, her kids died quite young as well. Um, one which of is a real them, tragic uh, story. It, yeah, one
2: of them, one of them, suicide. One of them, um, from I think it was heroin overdose. One of them did out the three. Um, one of them did uh, survive, I believe, because they were at some kind of ceremony to of, um that was somehow acknowledging her in her later life. But yeah, she had a, a a tragic life, really, in a lot of ways, and you know. I think her talent that she has, you know, had to produce two great pieces of work that she about, you know, in regards to the screenplays and stuff, drawing from her own experience, I think, wasn't able to be fully uh, realised because of her own demons and her own uh, background, but not being able to escape it, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. We haven't wanted to bring the party down too much. There's quite (laughs) a lot of tragedy involved with this because Alan Clark died. I mean, I think Alan Clark was a heavy smoker. He died in his 50s and even the black lace guy died in a in a coach
2: crash Just
0: yeah horrible. when he was
2: um when he was touring right. with smoky yeah yeah
0: i mean we can make jokes about their music but that's still tragic yeah
2: well although i like they yeah, I mean, do well
0: <laughs> <laughs> i was only about six but i thought, give me, give I thought scott
2: was saying i thought scott was gonna gonna lead into the fact that his his nephew being such a fan of this that it, he going yeah. to gangbangs
1: no no not going to gangbangs what actually happened <laughs> I mean, every time this was mentioned at a family party or a barbecue around my brothers or whatever. My nephew would hijack the stereo and put on We're having a gangbang by Black Lace, right? And I'm like, what like, is it with his he said it's from Rita Sue and Bob Turner." and I'm like, Oh I haven't seen it and he was like so and to the point where I think they went on holiday to one of these like um Haven holiday caravan park type things and the entertainment that night or one, one night that week was Black Lace. <laughs> And he went up and requested having a gangbang, <laughs> and the blonde haired guy with the mullet went, "Don't worry, son. We're going to do it anyway." You know, it's like yeah. the, it is the showstopper sort of thing. Nothing
0: against black legs, but they probably haven't got a massive list of uh, hits.
1: So, Superman you know, was the other one, wasn't it? I can't remember many others. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> this this has just reminded me of something else. Didn't we find out somewhere? That Bruce Jones, who was Les Battersby in Coronation Street, found one of the Yorkshire Ripper's victims.
0: Yeah, I do remember him being yeah. in one of the documentaries. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. This yeah. is bizarre. And, <laughs> and then of course we've got this Moors connection. Obviously it's a different Moors from yeah. uh, you know, for any for those overseas, yeah, the Moors murders were a big thing in the sixties, but yeah, not not in this area, to make that clear. But yeah.
2: No very but, strange um, but well, you know, about fifty miles away. Was it fifty
0: that was uh, Manchester, was it? Saddleworth wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. so just, just the other
2: just the other side of um this is the sort of north of Bradford and that is just sort of southwest along the M sixty two. So mm. uh, it's not not a, not a million miles away. Um yeah.
1: got driven across them uh, once, they are very bleak. They're wonderfully looking like bleak. Landscape. It looks like it's almost black and white permanently. That whole thing. There's just no colour to it whatsoever. You're just
2: talking about Lancashire, aren't you? Well,
1: yeah. The rainbows <laughs> in black and white up there, mate. Haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're
0: great for film. Great for films. Eh? It's like you know, it's our version of the Australian outback. It is,
1: it? It's very just grim. Grim is the only word oh. I can use. Um
2: the, the great thing, great thing about where we're talking about and where this was filmed and stuff is, you could go re- You know, mostly go and decide to do a film. Uh, based in the 80s and and still find it very cheap and easy to make it look like the 80s. I mean, I know some of the locations in this uh, have been demolished. The blocks of flats and the the working men's club uh, have been demolished. But uh, you'd be able to find other plentiful. You can find other ones that that are from the same area and look the same that you can just substitute. It's not moved on very much, is what I'm trying to say.
0: (laughs) Just going to hope in the distance there's not some bastard on his smartphone sending a text message, you know. Um, Yes.
2: (laughs) Just (laughs) briefly. Yeah, they're
0: somewhat timeless, aren't they, the models?
1: Just briefly, um, talking about music
0: and black lace and things
1: like that. Anthony, as a musician, how lazy was the theme song at the beginning? (laughs) It's basically, it's just Rita and Sue, and it's Rita and Sue, and he repeats it 20, 30 times, and then it finishes off as the song comes to a conclusion, and Bob too. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) Exactly. It to fit. There's a, such a strange mood in this film of uh, mostly comedy, but then a little bit of darkness. But, I've,
1: yeah. did, I've just noticed the music itself was Michael Kamen. Yeah. I think you could
0: say Michael Kane. Michael Kane
1: <laughs> composed the album. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Not a lot of people know Not that. Not
1: a lot no. of people know that. <laughs> okay, so we, we've mentioned most of the actors and actresses, but we need to find out exactly where they stand within the Village Hall of Fame. So grab your keys, Stephen. Let's take a walk up the path. Okay, Village Hall of Fame, Stephen. Actors and actresses that have appeared more than three times on the show in different movies or productions will get inducted, as Anthony pointed out. There's very slim chance that any of this lot appeared in a night remember. It is possible, it is possible, <laughs> but not the lead three. How did you get on this week? How, did, how, how are things looking in the hall?
2: Right, well, we've got one fella who is making his second appearance, which is Bernard Wrigley, who were, was the teacher in this film. He was previously in Brastoff. Oh, OK. So with that, that um, that chuckle-brother moustache, um, and then, you know... <laughs> Getting getting easily distracted from people's homework by deciding whether to put a bet on a horse, which um, isn't entirely out of character um, uh, and is a, a lived reality, really, of yeah. some of the teachers here. So yeah, that's it.
1: Is that it?
2: Oh, so mm-hmm. it's the first appearance from, for for Letty Sharp, which who will um, appear in um, soon in Mike Lee films. But um, we've had nobody else. Others, others in there now, there's others in here that will appear in other things. Uh, that's in, amazing. In I mean, but um, this is the closest we could get to a repeat appearance, which uh, is a rarity.
1: We haven't had you know this mean? since episode like five or six. This doesn't happen.
2: <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm trying to think that's the last time it, it did happen. I think it might have been one of the episodes that I was on, such as maybe Legend or, or one of those.
1: Possibly, that's, yeah. Uh, more
2: recent, but yeah. otherwise. No, there's, uh, this is uh, a complete anomaly with regards to only having one person that's previously appeared in something and even then, them not having appeared three times.
1: Well, any so hope I... of you padding out this episode for the next ten minutes has gone right out the window. Quick, no, help should... me out here, well, guys. I was, I, I got, <laughs> well, I got, I got a bit, I got
2: a bit, a bit distracted because I, I saw um, when I did look at Bernard Wrigley's thing straight yeah. away, um, it came up on IMDb. It's got a, a, um, a picture... Mm-hmm. at the top of it, that uh, I immediately thought, oh, look at that. It's going to be that he was in East is East. Right. Because, you know, the, the, there's a, a picture there, which is has got um, on Paris. Um, oh, I and can then can see it, it yeah. Turns out, yeah. And then it turns out that that's my son, the fanatic, not, not East is East. <laughs> um, and <laughs> uh, so I was like, oh, I didn't, didn't get him in. Having one person, but them achieving the, the three would have been... Think respectable, but unfortunately, no, this is uh, shallow ground uh, this time around. So, as I say, some of them will appear in other things, I'm sure, because there's various spaces we recognize. But at this stage, a combination of it being the first thing in people's career a lot of the time.
1: And um, a lot of and unknowns lot and one-offs. off Yeah,
2: you know the local community stand-ins, as it were, making guest appearances. We're we're in a situation where that's all we're we're getting out of this, and we don't even, you know, the the writer uh, Andrea. This was you know the only thing that she did. or yeah. uh, mm. Alan Bark has done a number of, of things previously, he'll crop up again. Obviously, with Scum, he, he'll crop up mm. again. At this point, he's not actually appearing in um, anything else himself either. So. Mm. Oh yes, mm, it's a shallow ground this time right?
1: Absolutely. I wanted to say that this isn't typical Alan Clark, But when you think about the subject matter and how dark it actually is under that frothy surface, it is quite an Alan Clark movie, isn't it? When you think of things
0: like Scam and all the, you know, the, The Firm and all those films that he's done.
1: Yeah. It fits perfectly, doesn't it? I
0: think. Is he from the north or the south, Alan Clark?
1: I'm going to say the north. I'm
2: not 100% sure, to be honest. Let's have a look. Yeah, he was, he was another person from the other side of the Pennines, if I remember, really? but I don't know. where
0: Because I was saying, like, Scum, German made in Britain with uh, Tim yeah. Yeah. Roth. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. So good. I saw that again recently. And the firm, they're all sort of based around London, aren't they? Or, I don't yeah, know, yeah pretty much. I, think, yeah. I don't know. Well, in there's the a, south, anyway.
1: Yeah, well, there's a mixture of sort of like. Um, accents and characters in Scum because it's a prison work that's taken in prisoners from all over the country. So of oh, course,
2: yeah.
1: So, Alan Clark uh, was from, born in Cheshire. Um, there we go.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Born in Cheshire and and Cheshire. lived his like lived his life uh, mainly to begin with in in Liverpool. So there is another yeah.
1: comedy. There is another comedy which is absolutely dire if I remember rightly. Billy the Kid and the Green Bay's Vampire that he did Ooh. came out about the Damn same sort of summer. time. Yeah. Don't even go there. It's <laughs> 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 it's, it's uh, quite bad if I remember rightly. Phil Daniels, Alan Armstrong. There we go. Yeah. Uh, the, the BFI has described it as undoubtedly the only vampire snooker musical in cinema history. <laughs> and that's exactly what it is. <laughs>
0: uh, I like a bit of snooker, but uh, still probably won't go near that one. <laughs> what, about, uh, can I, I, mm. what about the girls speaking together? I thought that was a great
2: touch in this film.
1: They were a double act, weren't they? They were a yeah. perfect double act. Yeah. Um, I guess you... it
2: comes across as entirely natural, it's, it doesn't seem in any way scripted. Their performance it is them just being themselves in many ways. Um, although they're slightly older, like you said, um, than the school girls that train. They're just delivering the, what they would have done two, three years before if they'd been at school in this situation, just been been northern girls, really. It's
1: a classic case of best friends forever, isn't it? You know, it's like your your best mate at school, but you know the situation suddenly changes when this mm. whole thing opens up and the pregnancy and the fact that she's been seeing Bob behind her oh. back and then becomes a completely different movie, doesn't it? The second half with the relationship with Aslam and all of that side
0: of things. Yeah, but then I say I I kind of I kind of liked Michelle Holmes a lot back in the day. I thought she was great. She was great. Well, in this. Just, mm. Yeah, when she was in Coronation Street, it wasn't, you know, she was kind of the cheeky barmaid, you know. But then Shit, yeah. all the stuff with Aslam, yeah, there's racial overtones, but it's very funny as well. Right? Mm. When they're walking down the street with Aslam's sister, yeah. and just that kind of racial, racial divide, just the sort of worlds apart idea. But she, it got a little bit dark, and then, but then it kind of went back into comedy. It was very, very interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting because it wasn't what I remembered. I just remembered the comedy,
2: really, not
1: but the second uh, half and, as such. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah and there yeah, is a, yeah. an element in this. That, I don't know whether I'm putting my perspective on it or whether it actually is seen by yourselves but you know you've got the the bits where the there's a little bit of darkness whether it's um you know having fled the the, the house um due to um aslan slapping her around yeah. or, or anything else or the bits whether you know they're having a, an argument between themselves because one of them's been seeing uh behind and the other's back and all this yeah. you know but you see that that brief flash of something dark is then offset by them finding a way to make some kind of joke about it, uh, which is, a, I think, an, a very northern characteristic where, you know, we find a way to we make a joke when things get dark um, in mm. order to try, as a coping mechanism almost. And that's, I think, displayed by the girls particularly, you know, throughout this, that they're just, whenever things are happening, they're making the jokes. So hopefully that's a, a northern characteristic well, Do you know what you could actually describe this context.
1: movie as, guys? You could actually describe this movie as not a kitchen sink drama, but a kitchen sink comedy. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. it's got a few layers to it, isn't it? Yeah, So yeah. it's a kind of a coming of age. I don't know. I suppose it's like a sexual definitely, awakening. Definitely
1: I guess. a coming of age movie, but yeah. not not how you'd expect it to be. You know, you wouldn't. Yeah. You know, put this in the category of coming of age movies, but it, it certainly fits there. It does, you know.
2: Yeah. It, it ties in it ties in, yeah. I mean there's some I mean obviously you got some, some comedy in some of the stuff with, with um Ken Large and Mike Lee, but I think your reference to, to Kes before mm. there's also the, the element that Lee character Billy in, in Kes was facing a situation of leaving school and what then his future was was destined to be there wasn't really any future to no. look forward to other than mm. other than doing exactly the same as what the other people around him were doing mm-hmm. and these are the the same situation that you know and they might have a some kind of job whether it's directing taxes or or doing something outlined end up as, as um some other job that's mm. not really a career that they would aspire to, but yep. it's just a way of it. earning some money to pay for the gas bill and, and, um, being able to have you know, some drink at the weekend and that's the lived life that they're seeing around them and their only destiny themselves. And, um, the way they, they deal with that is to just be having, having a laugh. Wasn't yeah, having,
1: the, uh, uh, yeah. the tagline yeah. for this, something like Thatcher's Britain with its knickers
2: down. Or something? Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Perfectly yeah. sums it up.
0: Yeah, they find a good way of making serious points. I mean, even Bob and his wife, what's his wife's name? It's Leslie Sharp,
1: Sharp isn't it? Yeah. It
0: <laughs> looks quite a bit like Michelle Holmes, which was interesting. Yeah. But when they, um, one funny line when they're having they're they're having sex for the first time and she says I wish you wouldn't put your tongue in my mouth (laughs) (laughs) you could see like how Bob could be a little bit frustrated but uh, no the good comedies uh, they do make these points don't they but without kind of hammering it too much and putting a comedy spin on it so
2: well, again, it's the East is East. You know, they've got dark mm-hmm. elements in there with regards to the domestic violence and, and some mm. of the racism and things. But it's essentially a comedy. And that is there's a pattern there with regards to these things. I mean, you know, you, you look at you know, restless natives as well with regards to the, the mm. a bit of darkness there with regards to people's prospects and the decimation politically and then people doing what they can to actually give themselves some form of life outside outside of just the, the trudge. So, yeah, I think this is a, it's a comedy that's maybe a bit saucy but it certainly doesn't have the stuff on screen that you would expect going into it that's a, you know, as far as sex. Actually, that's a very small part of what the film's about, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, so it, it's kind of a a MacGuffin and or, you know a a catalyst for the rest of the film. The these um, you know I think they spend more time talking about standing in a cow pat than they do actually talking <laughs> about actual sex. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: a great scene as well. Yeah, because she wants to go first this time as well. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Bob can't get it out, and they just start laughing at <laughs> it. I loved all that stuff; it just seems so natural, doesn't it?
1: I'm surprised, Stephen, you haven't caught on to this yet because one of your favourite jokes of all time—it's called Rita, Sue, and Bob too. I'm surprised you haven't said I've still not seen the first one.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I considered it right at the beginning. Oh, you when did? Started, <laughs> I was going to—I was going to say it, and I thought. I, am I being too predictable I, by saying that? Uh, and I thought, should I or should I not? And yes. I did decide not to, but I was regretting it. So I'm glad you you brought it in. I had
1: to mention it because normally that is the first thing you jump on when it's time in Scotland. Yeah,
2: I'm, I am that predictable. Yeah. Well, well they did.
0: nicked it for "Look Who's Talking Too." They, they did. <laughs> yeah. Should we just quickly tell the King George anecdote as well? That's madness the thing. Yeah. That's,
1: that's Stephen's favourite turn-to gag. about. That's one of mine
0: as well, actually. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. madness so of King George. It was originally ma- madness of George Third, and the Americans like, oh, we're the first two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I,
1: I'm just going to sort of finish this off by saying, look, my first time watch, and I absolutely loved it. It surprised me at how frank and how open it was. I was expecting it to be a bit more subtle. You know, that first scene when, when they're having it off in the car. I was like, wow, we're going there already. Okay, I know where I'm, I yeah. am now. The authenticity of it, even down to the clothing and things like that. The girls all dressed in white for the night out. You know, even though they weren't actually going out, they were just babysitting. But they dressed up; they got their makeup on, and all of that. That's what teenage girls did in the eighties. They were going out, so they got dolled up. Every male character in this film is a piece of shit. There are no male characters with any redeeming qualities to them whatsoever. When you think about it, you look at it's them all. Northern men. <laughs> Um, the fact that Black Lace make a cameo, you know, just notched it up another star for me, uh,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and the fact that Alan Clark has proved that he can do comedy, but it it has got Alan Clark's fingerprints all over this. You can you couldn't necessarily look and say, "Oh, that's an Alan Clark movie." But when you think about it, as I said earlier, the the darker elements to it, and the seriousness and the grittiness of it, when it's not being laugh out loud funny is pure Alan Clark and I absolutely adored it.
0: Yeah. I want to say a couple of things mm. before we finish. Yeah, no um, The drunken father. Mm. I mean, the act, the acting is absolutely brilliant <laughs> because it's it's so easy to do over the top drunk, just sort of staggering all over the place. Yeah. But he looks like, you know, he's not just been tying one on that day, he's been tying one on for the for the last 5 years, you know. He just got that. I just thought it was a brilliant bit of acting. Yeah, it's the relationship um, we should talk about them. We should talk about the ending of course because um the writer Hated the ending. the The ending was changed, wasn't it?
2: Um, yeah, she didn't like that. It they'd made it a happy ending as opposed to what oh, it was.
1: Right, okay. Yeah,
2: yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not into sort of retro shaming. You know, I think films are of their
0: time and stuff. But obviously, you know, morally, <laughs> Bob doesn't exactly get punished for what he did, does he? So uh, <laughs> not at all. Yeah. I didn't have a problem with it. But yeah, I just wanted to point that out. that the, the writer didn't well, like that, and it, perhaps they the were paving the
1: way for Rita, Sue, and Bob Three.
0: Mate,
2: that's what. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah.
1: <laughs> Stephen, oh, any, imagine anything? A,
2: imagine a sequel now about you know where they are at this time in I their life. I thought lives.
1: that when I watched it yeah, because well, that obviously, seeing would, that would all actually acting. be
2: tempting to. i be it'd be one of those where they come back to something you know ten or, or twenty years later and they actually do it right and it actually would work. Mm. Um, yeah. very rare. Very rare that happens, but it, it would. I think that the you know what you've touched upon there, Anthony, as far as Bob not getting a sort of punishment or negative outcome sort of thing for me. I think mm. one of the things is that although there's the infidelity from him, there is, a, I suppose, in some sense, a, a motivation for that because he, he's he's oversexed and isn't getting what he he wants in that sense at home. He's not in a happy marriage, but I don't think, despite the fact that he seems to have have been with the previous babysitter, you know, and obviously he does pursue the girls right at the beginning. I don't think he comes across, like Scott said, he doesn't come across as a a lech, doesn't come across as a predator. In the sense that he's been suggestive and then they actually. But he's um, totally open about take... it. <laughs> yeah. Mm. He, he makes the suggestion to them and they take him up on the offer. And you get the impression, mm. uh, I think, very strongly that if they'd have said no, yes, he might have continued to, to ask at various points on future mm. card journeys, but at no point would he have forced himself upon them. No. Yeah. His part in this ends up being that very quickly the the power dynamic really shifts from him being the one that's that's pursuing them to them being the one that is really using him for their sort of sexual experience and gratification. Yeah, you know, they're having a jump and that's and he it just happens to be him. It's you know it's not necessarily there's anything special about him, it's just that he happens to be there and happens to be available and happens to have the right anatomy. Like yeah. a frozen sausage. Uh, and so so he ends up then, yeah, frozen sausage. <laughs> um, and then it ends up being that that basically particularly with the ending the way that they're taking charge of the situation in the mm. household as well as taking the charge um of the entire power dynamic it is that there's not really anything for him to be punished for i don't think in that yeah. sense and i think he you know that's why it comes out the way it does and i can understand if that wasn't how it was originally written that's why mm. uh andrea dunbar wouldn't be happy because you, you wouldn't want your own work change especially when it's so personal to you but
1: um
2: i feel it works i feel that it besides leaving it open for a a sequel it means that the the tone of the film from start to to the end it's got that light-heartedness with the the dark spots in it because if it started like it did and then ended up ended up with a dark ending i I don't think the film would work so well i don't think it would stand the test of time so well i think it would be certainly less enjoyable to watch you know for for us, it's a, it's, a, it's really just a, a, a romp, as I feel yeah. what a better phrase, um, of, yeah. through through this time period in somebody's life. And then I think that that's what was needed um, yeah. to keep the palette clean on the whole thing, I to be honest. I think
1: if it had a dark ending, there's the danger that it would just be the ending that you remembered from the film. Because yeah. you get that, don't yeah. you? When you've enjoyed yourself watching a film and suddenly there's this ending that's really sort of jarring or doesn't fit or doesn't sort of like click with the mood you've been in for the past 90 minutes, Yes, yes. you'll always say, great film, but that bloody ending, you know? Mm. And that's why I think it works, Steve, and you're quite right. They've they've got the tone of it just right. All right, Andrea Dunbar wasn't happy with it, but for mm. the movie version, I think it works. It's a film for production.
0: It's entertainment
1: at the end of the day.
0: Absolutely. It's entertainment with some stuff to think about, mm. you know? but largely a comedy, well, yeah, of course it's a comedy, yeah, Yeah. and that that tagline kind of gives it away,
1: of course it does, absolutely,
0: (laughs) I'm glad you said that actually Stephen, because yeah, it'd be too easy to just say, oh, Bob's a bastard and they're totally innocent, but they're, you you know, they're using him after a while, yeah, he initiated them, but they're all using each other in a sense, aren't they, Hmm. but in the end, yeah, it's just a great comedy, really, really good. Really glad I saw
2: it again. And I think it's necessary for the way for it to work is that there's the two of them rather than just one because otherwise, yes. they, they, just one girl... Obviously, you'd miss a lot of the dynamic in the story out with regards to the, the sort of little bit of intimated rivalry. But the initial stages where they're sat in the back of the car and he's saying things, it's almost like the two people who are, are completely inexperienced but but wanting to be ballsy because they're in front of the mate or, or just playing up, you know, egging each other on sort of thing before they know where they are. They've, they've agreed to do something that they were, might not have done so in the cold light of day. I think, you know, the dynamic art works with all the three of them and then, you know, carries on throughout the film. I think it just it, it's entertainment that works with you know mm. and and wouldn't have stood the test of time or been looked really acclaimed so well, I think, if it had been just a straight mm. drama. Yeah.
0: And it's a brilliant, I mean, it's a brilliant example of a British film, isn't it? I
2: mean... i uh, well, so it's
1: typically British in in a way yeah. you wouldn't normally describe a British movie. That's what I was sort of getting at before, isn't it? We don't always consider 80s northern movies as typically British. We always think of the, the 50s stiff British upper lip or, you know, a Terry Thomas or an Ian Carmichael type movie, <laughs> you know. period drama. yeah. Yeah, as being typically British. But this has every right to be called typically British, absolutely. mm and yeah, it's
0: set in Yorkshire, but funnily enough, um, I was watching a Mike Lee, oh, is it called All or Nothing? Have you seen that one? don't know if you come across that one. Uh, but there's, there's, there's shades of, oh, I can't remember, I think it's early 90s, mm. Timothy Spall's A Taxi Driver. It's the one that's got, um, no, you're not a big fan of his, James, uh, Stephen, but James Corden. It's the one where he plays like a mentally challenged kid. He's actually really good. He does a great performance. Ooh. Anyway, I was watching it, and obviously Mike Lee films are a lot more serious, but also, there's that idea of them on a on a council estate, and people. And there's two people have sex in a car, and it's almost like because they haven't got anything else to do that day, kind of thing. No, no, sorry, I didn't mean that in a rude way. I'm just just <laughs> saying. The point I was trying to make was that um, I think if you set this in London, I don't know if this was on a. Obviously, the, the accents and everything's going to be different, but I don't know the shades of that. Yeah, of I think that you
2: know there there is a an element where you could transplant this to other deprived areas in the country, particularly Mm. at that era of time, and make it work. So, you know, certainly, if I remember uh, all and often correctly, there there is echoes in that, what you're saying. And it is about, I suppose, that overall with Mike Lee and Ken Loach and and other ones, including this and, I don't know, Restless Natives and, and such like, there's a certain amount of the coping with the, the lack of opportunity or the lack mm. of real change being offered in the future um, mm. and you're just making the most of the moment before you're perhaps going to end up in a, a predefined pattern of behavior that your peers or your your parents mm. have, have done so yeah with this it keeps it on on the comedy side and makes us laugh throughout it and see that you know any darkness there could be is kept in little pockets which are then offset immediately with some humour that isn't incongruous. It just does work, yeah. and this film, this film in total, just does work. Uh, thankfully, and it, you know, for those of us that, that did live through the eighties, which all, all of us um, mm. did, and uh, particularly, you know, when you live through the eighties in the north, this mm. you just watch this and you go, this is actually completely authentic. There you go. Yeah, seizing the moment, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's Rita Sue and Bob 2, 1987. Thanks, guys, for that absolutely fascinating look at an Alan Clark movie for the first time. So we're going to be back together very soon. We've got Anthony is choosing the next movie. Mm. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this. so Anthony's choice next time so what have we got lined up
0: oh looking forward to this one (laughs) well the last time I was on Stinking Paws I chose uh, Strangers on a Train Mm. and I thought um, well stick with Mr Hitchcock excellent now we always think of Hitchcock's um, British films as being at the beginning of his career <sighs> uh, I know we got Uh Yes, we know. But uh, he did make, as you two well know, and a lot of your listeners know, he did make a British film right at the end of his career. I believe it was his penultimate film. So, 1972, we are going to go to what I consider top tier Hitchcock, mm-hmm. which is Frenzy. Oh,
2: yeah. I can't wait! Yes.
0: I
1: cannot <laughs> wait! I've been <laughs> wanting to do this one for a long,
2: long time. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been on on my list, but I could never work out a right time to bring it. So, and I think this, as a follow-up to contrast to uh, Richard Sue and Bob Too, I think <laughs> you know, um, it's both both fine films <laughs> in their own way, but not. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of similarities between the two. So, yeah, this is good.
1: A bizarre tribute to Bernard Cribbins as well. <laughs>
2: Yes. Isn't it, isn't
0: yes. It? Of yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like Steve said, it's not really that connected to this film, but I co- it's still got the gritty Englishness. And when, when we get there, uh, I think your listeners will appreciate that. This is very different from the stuff he was doing in Hollywood. You know? oh, oh,
2: yeah. I look forward to finding out
0: what the Beatles'
1: connection is. Oh, yes. yes. There will be. There's got to be something. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just looking at the cast list. I can't see anything obviously jumping out at me, but there will be. No. There'll be a location or something. Most of it's Covent Garden, isn't it? Sort of yeah. yeah, I'm sure I Amy mean, will come up with a Beatles connection somewhere along the line. Yeah,
0: very much looking
1: forward to that. No, to... that is an excellent choice, and it's way overdue for us to talk about. So, yeah, after the uh, palate cleanser that was Rita, Sue, and Bob too, let's go head first into frenzy, shall we, guys? <laughs> okay that's it for another episode of Real Britannia all that's left for me to say is thank you once again to Stephen for being here again sir thank you my pleasure and before we go Anthony if you'd just like to tell the audience about all your other shows
2: yes three
0: podcasts Glass Onion on John Lennon film Gold Obviously about films, and then life and life only about psychology and alternative media. Available in all the usual places. Check. And thanks out. for having me on again.
1: Yep, more than welcome, sir. Thank you so much. That's it. Cheers, guys. See you soon.
0: See you later. Take okay. care.
2: sha Bon voyage Good luck Thank you
1: Up, sir. I'm sick of paint. <laughs>